Hey, great to see everyone. This is Pastor Terry, if you're joining us for the first time. But uh, I give you, uh, all of you, I give you my, my love and blessing. And I know this is an unusual time. You know, we're jumping into May now, and this is a month of transition, no question about it. It's going to be a lot of changes, a lot of different things we're going to be feeling. We're going to make this journey together. Um, you know, and part of my goal, part of our goal, is to strengthen, strengthen you for the present, yes, and prepare you for where we're going into, into what's ahead. So prepare, strengthen. Uh, this is part of what we we'll want to do. And then, you know, for me personally, I mean, yesterday was my birthday, you know, and uh, I'm not going to tell you how old I am. That's a secret. That's a secret. All I will say is I'm younger than my wife. <laughs> okay. That's all I'm going to say. But I, I, I do think that obviously this was not the, this was not the year we planned. I mean, 2020 has turned out so different than what we planned. And, um, there's a lot of adversity that we've had to face and we're still facing it now, but in every adversity, there is an opportunity an opportunity to grow. And you've heard me say it. I keep reminding everyone, if we have to go through it, we might as well grow through it, right? Let's grow. We've been talking about this. Sow and water and reap and just so good, so God, so good, so God. I mean, everything about what we're trying to do has to do with trusting the Lord. And, and we're going to be, in a, in a few minutes, sharing a message, a teaching that I've called follow me. It's really built around a question that actually Peter asked Jesus when they were in that recovery moment by the sea of Galilee. And, uh, we're going to really sit with that and engage it together. But, uh, before we even get there, we're, we're going to share a song. Fat Dallas is going to share a song with us and then she's going to pray at the back end of that and, and set it up for the teaching and for where I'm going. But I do want to remind you that when we get to the message and it's something for some of us to really consider, I really want to encourage us, even though I know we can share this service online in a very relaxed way, and that's totally okay. Right. But I do want to encourage everyone to create space to properly engage the message. I do. And in every fact, the worship as well, but with the message, I want to encourage all of us and you to, to take notes, consider taking notes. I know you say, well, I don't do that. Well, consider it. You can either do it digitally. We've, we've got it, you know, it's very accessible to do that. You can do it here online on it just, it's, it's something that we've tried to make convenient, but I think even more, some of us may want to actually do it the old fashioned way and, and write it down. And what you want to write down is the things that really, you know, impress you in the Lord, like listen to the message, but also listen to your life and listen to the Lord. That's the way to approach it. I'm a big believer in that. I think that there are times that we, we receive something, but we don't hold it long enough. And one of the best things we can do is to ponder things that God's trying to impress into our heart and to revisit them. Some of us may want to revisit our notes, just a little brief things that we've written down, you know, 
we may want to visit, revisit them tonight or tomorrow morning when we have some space to spend with the Lord in, in, in prayer. Uh, some of us may want to share with our small groups that we're engaging in digitally, right? And, and with our friend even, and just say, hey, this is how this spoke to me. Uh, I really want to encourage you to do that, you know, because here's the thing. We reinforce what we write down, we reinforce what we pray over, and we reinforce what we share. I'll, I'll say that what we write down, what we pray over, and what we share. And I want to encourage everybody to prepare to engage what we're about to share together. Okay? But here's our song first. So why don't we go ahead and let Adalis take it away. like these our minds wander and we we just as people we often wander but you stay the same you are always at our side and even in the most difficult of circumstances we can turn our attention toward you and remember that you are with us that you are steady and that on the foundation of you we have a solid rock and we won't be shaken so we choose you god we hope in you and we pray these things jesus in your name Ah, what a blessing that was. You know, um, let's return again to the scene that uh, we were with uh, last week when we were talking and kicked off our whole Engage series. And, you know, if you recall, we were by the Sea of Galilee and it was on the shores of the Sea of Galilee in John 21. There were um, these moments where Jesus would appear after his resurrection prior to his ascension. And one of the most memorable moments was an exchange that he had to have with Simon Peter. Remember, Peter had failed so miserably and 
He had denied the Lord, not once, not twice, but three times. And so Jesus, as we see and saw last week, was was having breakfast with them, and he started to have a conversation with Peter. It was the conversation that they all knew he had to have. And in that conversation, Jesus asked Peter, he said, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. You know, he, Jesus said, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, I love you more than these. Then Jesus said, feed my sheep. Then Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know, I love you. You know, tend my lambs. And then a third time, it says, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter was sad, but Jesus asked them. And yet I don't think the number three was coincidental because there had been three times that Peter had denied Jesus. And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know, I, I love you. And Jesus said, feed oh, my sheep. Feed my lambs. And, and it was a beautiful moment. Remember, everybody's around the fire. They've had breakfast. Jesus has been cooking fish and, and the bread upon the charcoals. And they're at the breaking of the, of the day and the shore, at the shore of Galilee and the water is lapping and the sun's beginning to arise. And there's... There's just been a, a whole tenderness and beauty to that exchange. And when Jesus is done, he, he turns to Peter and he says, when you were young, you, you did what you wanted. You, you dressed yourself. You walked where you wanted to go. Um, you were an independent man. But when you're older, Jesus said, another is it's going to take you. You're going to, you're going to stretch out your hands and, and they're going to carry you away to a place that you don't want to go. And then we're, we're told in John 21 in the 19th verse that it says, this was Jesus's way of saying, you're going to give your life for me. You're going to yield. And when you're older, you're going to die for me. It was a very powerful um, thing that Jesus said. And then after he said that to him, Jesus turned to Peter in front of them all, and he said, follow me, follow me. Now that word, that phrase, that invitation was, it was almost like a command, but it, but it required Peter to hold on to that word. But that word was actually something that he had begun with, right? It was the beginning invitation that Peter was given three years earlier, as were the other disciples, follow me. And ironically, Peter got that same invitation right there on, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it was also connected to fishing. And Jesus had said, you know, I'm going to make you fishers of men. So this is a kind of a full circle moment, if you think about it. But again, it took place in front of uh, Peter's friends. It took place in front of John and James and four of the others as well. And they had all been, I'm sure, listening with fixed gaze um, to Jesus asking those questions. And I guess the words themselves would have been both simultaneously troubling and comforting, if you think of it this way. Because in one sense, Jesus was saying, you... You're going to die for me. I mean, 
it's, albeit as an older man, but you're going to end up giving your life for me. I, you're not going to, you're not going to want, want what's coming, but you're going to yield to it. That's very powerful. But as troubling as that was, it must have also been comforting because it revealed to Peter his destiny as a faithful man, right? As a faithful man, though, that, that the one he who had so shamefully denied the Lord, um, who had just moments before been forced to v revisit his failure in a way, was being told, even as his love and devotion were being questioned, he was now being told in front of the others that, and in the presence of his brothers, that he would, in the end, stand. That he would not deny Jesus, that he would actually pay the ultimate price. And so when Jesus said, follow me, it was, you know, travel with me into this moment. Very powerful, very powerful dynamic. And, 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 but, and then, but what happens is, and this is where we're going to go in the time that we have, because the study itself has beauty and, and power in it. Like the conversation that follows next that we're going to be sitting with. I mean, it's, it's, it's got so much in it, but it also has something for us, particularly in light of the, the subject that we're exploring about putting our faith into action. But I think even more because of the unique time that we're in, what all of us are experiencing right now, what many of us are having to work through this whole transitional period and having to begin to think about what, what it will be like when we start to move forward into places of, of transition that are going to make us a little uncomfortable and what are the implications for it? And we're wrestling with these things. How do we live out our faith in this environment and in the one that's coming is a great, a, a great question for us to explore together. But it was interesting because as Jesus has that conversation with Peter and as it settles in and the moment in a sense makes its way and they're all there listening. In that, in that very exchange though, Jesus turns right to Peter after he's done with him. And I see him looking at the rest of the disciples. But then as that's happening, Peter asks a question and it's a question that we'll put up. He says, Peter turned. And interestingly enough, he looks at John, right? He looks at the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how John puts it. Look at verse 20. The one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So John is referring to an incident that occurred uh, on the night of Jesus's betrayal when around the table, John had asked, who is it that's going to betray you? Anyway, Peter turns to John and we're told, he says, well, you know, again, after he's been just given insight into his future, he feels compelled to then in turn, look at, he, you know, he, he, he looks at John and he says, well, what about this man? What about him? Right? It's a classic Peter move. And for, for reasons we'll never fully appreciate nor understand. All right. He, he fixes his attention on John. And, and again, um, it was John who had found Peter, I think, 
we would mostly agree that it had to be his lowest and most darkest moment, maybe perhaps even a suicidal moment for Peter after his failure. When everything seemed lost, his certainly was his darkest hour. But Peter turns and he says, Lord, I appreciate what you just said. Uh, what about John? You know, what's his future? Is, is, is that going to happen to him as well? You know, and now maybe, maybe it was because Peter saw John as his chief competitor to the Lord's affections or, um, although, cause you know, Peter was generally recognized as the leader of the group. He was, he was a bit on the edge. He was impetuous. He was a little reckless. The way the Bible characterizes Peter, he's flawed, but he's fascinating. He's daring. He's fiercely loyal. I mean, those are all the things that Peter was, you know, but, but it was John who seemed to have the Lord's favor or I would put it this way. He seemed to understand the Lord the best. And it was John, for example, who Jesus modeling for us what it is to honor your, your father, your mother, your parent. It was John who was given while Jesus was on the cross. One of the seven sayings, remember, um, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. I mean, Jesus entrusts in his dying moments, the earthly responsibility of caring for his mother, who was a widow and was losing her son. He entrusts her to John and it tells us something. It doesn't it. It was John who though most people believe ironically was the youngest of all the disciples. It was John whom Jesus seemed to have had the most confidence in, right? That it was John who the Lord seemed to have the most trust in. And maybe, and so, you know, I, I, I mean, just basing it on how, we assess Peter's character. It's probably that it was John whom Peter both loved and also competed a little bit with. I, I think, I think that's a fair assessment, right? And, and he wanted to know, well, what's his future going to look like? Lord, what's John's future? I mean, you just told me mine. And then Jesus, and I love this. He, he turned to Peter and he gave him what would be his last earthly rebuke, right? Look what he says. It says, he, it says, Jesus said to him, put this up, you know, if it is my will that he remain until I come, you know, what is that to you? Your job, you, you follow me. Right? And again, I, I'm, I'm sitting in that circle trying to imagine it. Um, we're all, I'm imagining I'm with the disciples there and we're all kind of warming around the fire where we've eaten. This time has passed. Jesus begins to work with Peter. We're listening with fixed interest to the exchange that Jesus is having with Peter. And then, you know, after Jesus says, follow me to Peter, you follow me, right? It's an intense, beautiful, powerful, wonderful moment. And, and then Peter, instead of saying, well, what does that even mean? He, he basically focuses it on John, right? And if I'm John, I'm going, why you, why, 
Why are you bringing me in? Why am you? Why, this is about you. Why are you bringing me into this? You know, what? Are, what? <laughs> it's like, what happened? How did I become the focus? Like, what got into you, Peter? Right. But it, it's, 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 it's one of those things, though, that it's a great reminder to me because it's like Jesus says to him, you know, whatever my plans for him are, that's not the issue at hand here. Right. What is it to you? What is it to thee? Your task, Peter, Peter, stay focused here. Your task is to follow me. Not worry about John. It's to follow me. Right? That's what I, what a great reminder that is that on the one hand, and, and just consider this. On the one hand, right, we are to deeply care about the well-being of our brothers and our sisters and our friends and our neighbors and co-workers. And we are certainly people in our, our church family. Absolutely. And we're to pray and we pray for one another. And we've been doing that. We are to love one another and as much as we can in our small groups, in our ministry participation, and just in any way we can, and just in all of our relationships, we are to be there for one another. I'm always thinking about our relational circles of concern. And it's periodically good for us to think about what are my primary relational circles of concern? Usually there's some key ones in the middle, and then we sort of build our way out of that. But we are to show up in, in these circles of concern, our relational circles of concern. And in fact, I think at the time that we're in right now with the whole virus and the whole transition and the whole shelter in place that we've been experiencing together, and reintegration and all the displacement and all the feelings and emotions that are associated with what we're all walking through that this is a very important time. Um, it's one of those times when care and love need to really show up. Like this is an opportunity for us to really demonstrate our love for Christ uh, and our care for others. That it's a time for putting our, our faith into action. No question about it. And yet, and how can I put this? Uh, and yet, while a part of us needs to keep our eye focused on another, on the other, right? We need to, we need to be other focused. While a part of us needs to be other focused and concerned and thoughtful and looking for ways to bless and to, and to refresh and to be healers and prayer givers and life givers and just expressing the goodness of the Lord. While a part of us needs to keep our eyes on others at this time, it's also true that a part of us needs to keep them off. That's right. It's both a time for keeping our eyes on others and their well-being, and it's also a time for keeping our eyes off of others in the sense that we need to resist doing, I think, what Peter was doing. We need to resist comparing ourselves with one another. The Bible tells us that the one who compares themselves with another is not wise. We are, and maybe this is the best way to put it. You guys, this is the, I think this is the best way. We are to care, but not compare. I'll say that again. In fact, just say it with me. We are to care, but not compare. We are to care, 
but not compare. That's a huge thing. Ultimately, our business with God is not dependent on his dealings with another. We can get really stumbled here. It's almost like Jesus saying, Peter, this, this isn't about John. This is about you. You follow me. This is not about John. It's about you. I don't, I don't know why you want to know about John, but this is about you. You follow, you stay focused on the path that I have for you. And I think a lot of our struggle in life is associated with, I know not all, and maybe a little bit less so right now, but a lot of it is associated with comparison and the corresponding discontentment that flows out of that, especially in, in what I think is, is our social media era, the era of Instagram and Twitter and, um, but I'm thinking particularly of Instagram and a lot of social media where, where, you know, I guess everything is curated a bit, isn't it? I mean, I mean, often the show, at least this is how it has been often the show, only the best, uh, the best pictures, the best food, the best travel experiences, the best shots, the best angle. Some people are really good. I mean, they have, they have their angle down. That's the selfie angle and they're really good at it and things look great. Right. And, and you know, it, it's an interesting thing because in this world that we're living in, it's like, we're getting portions of reality, but they're curated. And sometimes we're getting things that honestly shouldn't be shared at all. Like they're better left unshared. But then the paradox to that is that a lot of, a lot of what is being shared is curated and fashioned and shaped in a way that exposes only a certain aspect of an experience or where a person is at in their life. Oftentimes it's not even the most real or genuine part. In fact, I can tell you as a pastor that I've come to understand that what, what is often showcased is far less than what is real. And I understand why, but it just means that we need to be really careful. There is always more than what meets the eye. Always. There's so much more than the sanitized shot with the perfect filter choice. There really is. And I suppose that's maybe changed a little bit because of this season that we're in. I think people are a little bit more thoughtful about what's being put up. I mean, I mean, everybody's trying to be very sensitive as we probably should be, but maybe, and maybe there's less showcasing going. Certainly there's less of everything, less travel, less, less eating out. Everything's shifted right now. But having said that, um, it's probably not bad. Uh, maybe that's for the good, that part of it. Cause maybe people are being a little bit more real than we've been before or before this all happened. Maybe that's one of the small blessings of this unwelcome time and situation is that it's causes at least to think about at least most of us to be more genuine people and to really think about our priorities. Uh, what's actually really important in life. I know it's created unique struggles as well, but at least that part of it is a positive in my, in my, you know, opinion, in my perspective, Peter, it appears was willing to accept his assignment. No problem. 
he <laughs> he just wanted to double check it against John, right? And Jesus reminded him. He just reminded him, and and he, and he reminds us too. Like Peter, this is between you and me. Ah, uh, it it it's it's not about John, right? And, and, and just again, I think it's worth mentioning this as well, that our primary responsibility and concern as followers of Jesus needs to be with what he's requiring of us. What is it that the Lord is asking us to do or become, right? It's, but what about John? What about him? What about her? What about them? You know, this is not about John. This is about you following me, right? That's what this is about. In the same word he gives to us, really it is. It's the same word. And something each of us must wrestle with in a uniquely personal context. In Christ, we all have a, we have a unique path to walk. And it's true that even in our closest relationships between um, a husband and a wife, between parents and children. It's true even in, in our closest friendships, in our closest relationships, that in the end, each of us, as close as we may be to someone else, we each have a unique path that the Lord asks us to walk that is, in, in some areas, not dependent on the other. That's so why we always talk about how you need to have your own relationship with Jesus. There, there comes a point, even for children who grow up in a, in a home where the love of Christ is nurtured and relative consistency is modeled of love and faithfulness and commitment, where there is the consistency of love, not perfection. And even in those environments where children grow up to have a love for Jesus, and some of us came from that environment. I think a majority of us did not, which is okay. You know, the Lord, something start with us. And, um, you know, even those of us who had rocky times as parents, maybe we're going to be really wonderful grandparents. Or maybe there are people who, whose lives we can affect, even if we don't have children of our own that we can actually affect right now. Or, you know, but there are, there are people who we can influence and make a difference in their lives. But anyway, my, my, my larger point is that in the end, we all have a unique relationship to walk with the Lord. And it's really, you know, we may say sometimes, well, you know, when we're having issues or struggles, or we just want to see things working better, we may say, well, if, if they would do this, or if they would do only do take care of that, uh, you know, but and a lot, and a lot of times our focus is on what the person we love, you know, what they should be doing or the people should be doing the people we work with or people in our relationships at church should be doing, you know, why aren't they doing this or why aren't they doing that? And, and yet at the same, I, I really, I hope we can hear this. The real question is what path is Jesus asking us to walk? What is it? And what would following him look like right now? in this season of our life that we find ourselves in. And then maybe play it out one more step and say, what would it look like in this year, the year that we're in right now, which 
none of us could have seen coming, which I've heard a lot of people calling the year of living digitally, right? This is the year of living, living digitally. Uh, that's a tongue, tongue twister, but I like it. I like it because I think it's a great way to describe this year. So many of us have had to, to learn a new way, the year of living digitally. But I, I think that it's good for us to think about what would following Jesus well and living a, a, a life of contribution and a life of love look like, uh, because in this time, because remember before it's about him or her or them, it's about us. It's about us. And what I mean by that is not selfish. I mean, it's about us as me and, and him. It's about Jesus and you. It's about our relationship with the Lord before it's ever about anybody else. It's about us. You understand what I'm saying? That's, that's for anyone who wants to follow Jesus, who, who accepts that invitation to follow him. The same invitation that Jesus gave, he gives to each one of us for our whole life. Yes, but also for this time. And in the end, it's not about him. It's not about her. It's about Jesus and me and the relationship that I'm cultivating with him. And that's always going to be a product of time and thought. It's like any relationship that we want to have flourish. We have to give attention to it. It just, that's the way it works. Jesus says to Peter, don't, don't worry about John. You know, and then Jesus goes on to say, you know, what, if, what if, you know, <laughs> look, what is it to you if he remains till I come again? I mean, it, which, you know, had led some people, uh, to speculate, uh, that John would not die before the Lord returned. And he, as he said, he would someday, you know, whenever I think of the return of Jesus, cause Jesus said, you know, the same way that I've left, I'm coming back again. I think that when the Lord comes, whether it's in my lifetime or somewhere down down the years, uh, it's going to be the ultimate extra terrestrial, the ult ultimate ET moment will be the second coming of Jesus. And wow, wouldn't that be something when the timeless one steps into time again and changes the world as we know it, right? But John felt compelled to clarify, alluded to it. Look at verse 23 with me it says, so the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. You know, John wants to qualify because remember Jesus has said to Peter, what is it to you? If he remains, it's like, that's none of your business. It, what what's happening with you is different, you know, than what's going to happen to him. And, and John essentially says some people misinterpreted what Jesus said as saying that he was not going to die, but John wants to clarify it. So look what he says in verse 23. So saying, so the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. He's speaking of himself. Yet he says, Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? And this is the disciple who is bearing witness. That's me bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. John writes. Now, there are other, many other things that Jesus did. I love this, by the way. Look at that verse 25. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose, John, and he breaks into a superlative, a wide open space. 
He says, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written if all the things that Jesus said and done did, <laughs> said and did, were put down on paper. He's saying, oh, this is just a small part, but it captures the essence of everything that we need to have. It's so good. And you know what is interesting is that John had many wonderful years of service ahead of him. He really did. He eventually, we know that John's preaching brought him to the church of Ephesus. And it was during that time in Ephesus. And there's a book called Ephesians that refers to the city of Ephesus. But we know that John became the leader of the church at Ephesus at a certain point. And it was there that he mentored many of what would be known as the ancient church fathers, the early church fathers, Polycarp, Papias, and a name you'll recognize, Ignatius. It was during this period that most people believe that he wrote his general epistles, the dominant theme of which, just like the gospel of John, the dominant theme of all the epistles of John, it's love. It's the love of God and love for one another. And that's it's the Christian love. And that is a product of John. The Roman emperor, Domi was it Domitian, had John banished to the island of Patmos. We know that as well. It was in the Aegean Sea. But one of the things that happened when he was exiled was that he had this vision of the victorious Christ at the end of the age. And he ended up writing what we now call as the canon was put together, the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. That was a product of John. And it really is the revelation or the unveiling of Jesus Christ, the one he loved. That in the end, the Lord reigns supreme. The lamb has conquered all things. Death and hell cannot, and even the raging of the nations cannot ultimately withstand the victorious Christ the lion and the lamb is so beautiful. But we know that also that John was pardoned in 96 AD by the emperor Nerva. And then he returned to Ephesus. John died. Uh, historically, we were, we have a pretty good idea that John died of old age and that he was most likely the only one of all the apostles, the original apostles, uh, that died of old age. All the rest of them were martyred. You know, let, let that sink in the next time that we think somehow we should be spared from some things. I mean, John was the only one and he actually had suffered. Now it was said that in, in the final years in his late nineties, and this is more now, uh, just sort of tradition, but it was said that when he was old, that John could no longer walk, that he had grown very old and that he was carried bodily from, you know, house from his house to the place of worship and time and time again, they would ask John to share. And the older and older he got, he finally reached a point where he would only say the same phrase over and over. He would say, little children love one another. That would be his, his, uh, his prayer and exhortation. Only that. He would say, and nothing more. How good is that? And that's a pretty good goal for a time like now, right? Love one another. Don't. <laughs> so on the one hand, don't do what Peter was tempted to do. 
forget that it's really about us and the Lord. Don't focus on John. But on the other hand, from John, remember that part of having an engaged faith is loving one another. Both are true. Both are true, right? It's, we are to care, but not compete. We are to care, but not compare. Let's just have our own walk with Jesus and let that carry the day. Loving one another. Now, we're going to have a closing song. I'm going to come back around. I love, I love just finishing this together. I like to pray and bless you and send us into the week that it's really important that we do this and finish well, but, uh, we'll have a, we'll have a, a song that we share together. I do want to remind everyone. Thank you, by the way, for your faithfulness. And just remember that even though we're not having a formal time of giving, as many of you have been doing, do your best to continue to be faithful and, and, uh, honor the Lord, keep allowing us to do what we're called to do as a church. It really helps everybody being as faithful as possible. Some of you stepping up even more so because you know that everybody can give. But if you can, remember, you can give on the app. You can give online. Some of you have been sending in, um, you know, checks. That's okay, too. But whatever God puts in your heart, that's the main thing. Right now, though, let's go ahead and share this moment together. shines in darkest places reaching for my heart in your light i find the pieces every missing part hope is found in hopeless places everywhere you are take my hand and lead me forward forward to the storm Keep running 
You know, I think about the Lord and what he's wanting to do and what he does and how he transforms things. You know, interestingly enough, both Peter and John, as they followed Jesus, would end up being very transformed. Peter would become a man noted for his humility and he had been very proud. But as he grew in Christ, he would ultimately become a man who understood humility, he would say, clothe yourself in humility. Uh, you know, submit to God. These are really good things. And then John, of course, I mean, he, he started out with this passion. I mean, he was sensitive, but he was passionate. We know he had a temper. He and his brother were called the sons of thunder. I mean, and yet John over time becomes the apostle of love. I mean, both of those examples are a reminder that the Lord transforms. I mean, as, as amazing as God's artistry is, as awesome as God's artistry is, and when we realize that there is much more in creation that we do not see, and that's really becoming apparent right now in this pandemic, there's much more that we do not see than what is actually seen. It's true. And how much more is there that we do not see? Having said that, as, as amazing as God's creation is in its complexity and the delicate balance and also how astonishing it is in terms of how God reveals his creative work in just the, just this human body of ours. I mean, it's astonishing. The power of the mind and the body. You know, God's creation is revealed in stunning ways. And yet to me, more than nature and more than this body, is what God does in terms of changing a person's life. The transformation of people's lives may be his greatest work of all in Christ. It really is some, it's something else. And never forget that if we follow the Lord, which is what we were reminded to do, follow me, that we become, in a sense, God's poems. Known and read of all, right? His artistry on display for all to see. May what they see be, though not perfect, a sin sincere, authentic, genuine follower of the Lord that is noted for their goodness and their good works, that we might uh, let our light so shine before people that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. 
That's my prayer for all of us. But I want to pray a blessing over you at this time. <sighs> you know, what would that transformation look like in this time? Lord, maybe this is a season, this unique year in time, where you're trying to do some of your best work in our lives. In this unwelcome place, we want to create space for your grace. We do. So that you can do the work inside of us. In some cases, some of us need healing. In other cases, some of us need to be reminded of what's really important. But, but I suspect a lot of us have been carrying a decent amount of anxiety and stress. And maybe some of us are filled with fear even now when it comes to just how do we even re-enter and how do we begin to transition and all the different things that are connected to it. We just want to welcome you, Lord, to come. For you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of soundness of mind. Help us to be a people of good courage. Help us to, uh, you know, remember, so good, so God. So good, so God. Yeah, we want to be part of your goodness. So that's my prayer for all of you. May your blessing be yours this day. In Jesus' name, I love you all. Till we meet again.